Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful who have gathered here out of love for you, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, of course, that we're in the season of Easter. It's called in the church the great 50 days of Easter, and today is the 15th day of Easter and the third Sunday of the Easter season. We continue our alleluias. We continue to hear stories about the resurrection and Jesus Christ's appearances. And there's a reason for rejoicing. Except, um, except for the fact that Easter Sunday has come and gone. But the pandemic hasn't. The war in Ukraine hasn't. The political vitriol and lies haven't. Hunger hasn't. Violence hasn't. Racism hasn't. Sorrow hasn't. None of that's come and gone. But Easter Sunday has. You see, we are an anomaly. You see, we are Easter people, but we live in a Good Friday world. We, as we learned from our first reading, it seems that the disciples are living in that same world. Well, right? I mean, after all, even after having witnessed the risen Christ's presence three times, even after having been commissioned by the risen Christ in the upper room where they had waited, and where Thomas, by the way, had touched the wounds, where Christ offered them peace, breathing on them, breathing the Holy Spirit into them, and saying, as my Abba has sent me, so I send you. I mean, they were called and sent as apostles, which is what the word apostle means, to be sent. And what do they do? Peter says, I think I'm going fishing. Anybody want to come? And they leave Jerusalem, and they go to Galilee. They have experienced the Easter resurrection. They have experienced the presence of the living, risen Christ. But looking around them, the world looks pretty much the same. And so they retreat to what is familiar and comfortable and safe. If they thought they were going to outrun Jesus, outrun the shame, of their abandonment of him, outrun the betrayals, outrun their deep grief and sorrow, they would be wrong. Simon Peter at the front of the crowd, Simon Peter at the very front, leads them to Galilee. And they go back to their work, their, their work that they've always done, the work that is like uh, low on the totem pole of good jobs, the one that 
had provided them barely a sustainable living, they go back to fishing. Only they're not very good at it. I mean, they've got empty nets of all things. Jesus, the risen Christ, however, pursues them from Jerusalem to Galilee as if with the resurrected presence Jesus says to them, you're the ones I've chosen. I called you, I taught you, and I sent you. And now I'm sending you again. Three times Peter denied Jesus. And three times Jesus now asks him to profess his love. The way Peter answers is almost unbearably poignant. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. But, of course, Peter's shamefully aware of what Jesus knows. that Peter's occasionally foolish, a little bit weak, a denier, and a deserter. And this knowledge makes it even more striking that when Peter replies to Jesus, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus says, then feed my sheep. In effect, saying to Peter, if you love me, make my love tangible. Go and care for those I love. This is the Easter good news for us. God is turning the world upside down, or rather, turning our upside down world right side up. God transformed the cross and tomb into symbols of new life. God transformed runaway followers into those who would go to the corners of the known world to proclaim the good news. God transformed a betrayer and a deserter and a denier into the founder and the leader of the church. And together they revealed God's inclusive embrace of love in action. For if God can redeem the worst in creation... Surely God intends to redeem all of creation. They, in their lives, begin to reveal the radical, redemptive mercy of God. And if God's loving, transformative mission is true for them, then it's true for you, and you, and me with all our doubts, with all our fears, with all our disappointments, without all our betrayals. If it was true for them, then it's true for us. Now, this news is simultaneously consoling. You are included. You, too, belong. You, too, are called. And also challenging. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You have a purpose here. Feed my sheep. But faced with our own shortcomings, we suspect we are disqualified, unqualified, 
or in any case incapable of doing anything transformative with our own lives, much less anybody else's. Of course, the Easter good news is God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. So after Easter Sunday, you and I, we tend to drift back to our old lives. Self-doubt, worry, fear of the future. And perhaps it is in the afterglow of Easter that we discover how truly afraid of life we really are. Being a disciple following the rabbi of Nazareth is one thing, but being an apostle, a word meaning sent forth, as I said earlier, is a whole completely other thing. So we return to what we know. Empty nets, empty lives. But Jesus is not about to let us go. We at New Church should know this. We have been a nomadic church from the beginning. We have gone all kind of places. We have been in all kind of settings. And here we are. Jesus is not about to let us go. Though we may waver, Jesus continues to believe in us, believe it or not. God looks us in the eye and says, feed my sheep. Put your love for me into action. This is the life you are made for. So, the, the making of biblical womanhood and how the subjugation of women became the gospel truth by Baylor professor Beth Allison Barr is the book we're reading, as I said, for our Easter season um, book study. She tells a story in the introduction about how her husband had preached a sermon and, and the sermon was on integrity and how he had used a, an illustration from the 1994 movie Quiz Show. The main character in the movie is Charles Van Doren, who allowed himself to be corrupted by fame and success, so much so that he cheats to win the quiz show week after week. When the revelation of his cheating comes to the forefront, he, he is finally exposed and had to then confess to his father, a respected Columbia University professor, what he had done. And when he confessed, his father said to him these profound words, your name is mine. By allowing himself to be complicit in a corrupt system, Charles Van Doren has shamed not only himself, but also his father. And this is what Barr writes. Your name is mine. And because I am a Christian, because I carry the name of Christ, Christ's name is my name. Christ's name is our name. Now, what is really striking about this gospel story is how Jesus, by asking Simon, do you love Simon Peter, do you love me, gives Simon Peter the chance 
to undo the reject, his rejection of Jesus on the night of his arrest. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you three times, as many times as he had spoken betrayal. As the story continued, Jesus shows Simon Peter a picture of how he will die. Now, this is fascinating because by allowing Peter to know how he's going to die, it allows him to not have to be afraid of death anymore. Once you have looked death straight in the face, well, there's no fear anymore. So he frees Simon Peter to go forth into the world as a sent person, an apostle. And Jesus offers Peter what many modern psychologists contend every one of us need, a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. And by the way, by our baptism, we are given both. We are invited to be a part of a group where we belong, the church in the world, and the church called New Church Chiesa Nuova, United Church of Christ, or any other church where we are invited to belong in community. And by our baptism, we take Christ's name and are called into vocation. We are called into vocation by God to make a difference in the world God loves so much. Now, listen, you don't have to save the whole world. Jesus has already done that. We have to be, as our prayer says, open to what God has for us and not overly project what we think God has for us. During the uh, Lenten season, I walked the labyrinth, uh, canvas labyrinth that we brought in. And uh, I was feeling a little uncertain about my future, the future of our church, everything else. And I was walking this labyrinth, and all of a sudden, and I don't have lights go off or hear God speak, but all of a sudden this peace just washed over me, and I realized, oh, my word. Why would I even hold this? We just received seven new members into the life of our church. We're singing great. We've got a drum set. <laughs> I mean... You know, God has, has something that I can't even imagine. God is going to offer something that I can't even dream. This is how God works. Y'all know that Mary Ludy is one of my favorite devotional writers, and uh, she is a longtime seminary educator and pastor. And in her UCC Still Speaking devotional last week, she wrote about resurrection, and this is what she had to say. This is just fabulous. She said in her devotional that you know resurrection is true when the one who appears to you claiming to be Jesus offers you real flesh and bone. When the one who announces, come and have breakfast, is the one you meet. The church appears in the world announcing new life too. In the name of the living, risen Christ, we tell the oppressed, it's not foolish to hope. We encourage the suffering to take heart. We assure the marginalized that God is on their side. We declare that love wins. I mean, you know, love always wins. That's what we declare. And all people are welcome. Everybody's welcome. 
But Ludi says, the world can be forgiven from shrinking from us if we, do, if we who claim to have been raised with Christ can't offer our bodies as proof of our claims. When this, that we, if we don't have real human skin in the game, the world is right to doubt if we walk through the pain of their lives crying, resurrection, but disappear when they need us. John wants us to understand that resurrection is bodily. And my friends, we're the body. We're the body. And that every promise of life we make needs to have flesh on it. Our name is Christ's name. We are the body. So, we need to pay attention to the text because this is what happens. The final words of the text that we read this morning are the words, follow me. But those words are also the first words in the text of the Gospel of John in the very first chapter. Jesus comes to Philip and says, follow me. The last word is the first word. And the first word is the last word. And that is how we are to be in the world. However we do it. However we serve. However we live. However we speak. However we reach out to others. However, we are the body. And Christ's name is our name. And the last word is the first word. So, come on, Easter people. Let's go. Amen? Amen.